0: Welcome to another episode of the Dominant Real Estate Agent Podcast. If you want to build your business, if you want to get more listings, if you want to learn what's working now with social media, uh, go check out listingclass.com. We shot a little video there. We're going to share with you what's working right now. If you're not leveraging social media, if you don't have a marketing and sales funnel that you're actually putting out into the market with video, then uh, you're probably working a little too hard. There's some really cool things that are working. We shot a little video, walks you through what they are. If you like what you see on the video, make sure you take the class. You can go to listingclass.com. Now, let's talk about our guest today, Mr. Chris Waters. Uh, Chris is best known for building independent brokerages, utilizing the team-centric model. He's in Austin, Texas. I've known Chris for a long time. Um, You know, one thing about Chris is he built one of the best businesses I've seen in the middle of the Great Recession. For those of you that uh, weren't a part of that, it was a really, really hard time. And Chris has done something pretty remarkable and probably one of the most highly competitive markets in the United States. So, you know, he's an entrepreneur, he's a visionary. And um, when I met Chris, he was literally sleeping on his girlfriend's couch back in 2010 and in a short three year period, He's one of the only people that I knew actually earning and netting a million dollars a year with his real estate business. So we're going to talk to Chris. He's going to share with you and everybody what he's doing, what's working out. We're going to talk a little shop. And at the end, we're going to get into a little friendly debate. So let's get started. Thanks, man. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Mike, glad to be here, man. Thanks for having me on.
0: Well, first of all, thanks. Um, so many people are going to get amazing value out of this. I had the luxury of talking to you for about an hour on my four hour drive home um, on Easter Sunday. Man, we were talking on Easter Sunday. So talk about the commitment to I guess we were really talking about the future of real estate. Um, but to and, and just so you know, I was completely blown away just about how much research and how how in tune you are with, you know, what's really going on right now. I learned a lot. So man, I appreciate you taking time to share with me.
1: I don't, you know, it's fun. It's interesting. Like I would, if I had to guess, I'd probably say about 95% of real estate agents out there. They have no idea what, you know, what, what's going on in the industry, like, like how much money from venture and wall street has moved into the industry. And I don't think they understand how different the industry is going to look in I mean, literally in like the next 12 to 18 months, the industry is going to look drastically different. Um, I, I was at the, uh, Inman event in San Francisco, uh, last year, uh, 2000, summer of 2008. And, uh, Brad Inman had Gary Keller on stage and I'm not affiliated with KW, but I got a lot of respect for what Gary has done. And, um, Brad and, uh, uh, Gary were like battling on stage. It was, it was quite entertaining. If you have a moment, I'd recommend you go watch that interview. Um, it's it's my understanding Gary Keller hasn't been on stage, you know, at, at an event, uh, not affiliated with KW in over a decade or something like that. So anyways, you know, I, I heard Gary say that, um, in 12 to 18 months, we're not going to recognize the industry. And I heard him say that last year and I was like, You know, I was like, yeah, what, you know, whatever. That's like a really bold, like out there claim. Right. And I'm like, you know, I don't know. felt like a little bit of fear mongering and I was, and, 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 uh, you know, I kind of dismissed it. And then about two to three months ago, my business in Austin started to change, um, very, very quickly. Uh, in, in the, um, late fall of 2018, we started having these wall street and venture funded i buyers come into our market and my um my listing team in austin will typically on a really good month in like the spring and summer take you know 45 55 65 listings somewhere in that range depending on the month and we saw our number of appointments go down 30% and these these um you know these companies are funded with billions of dollars and they are you know, literally buying listings. I mean, it's the craziest thing I've ever seen. And, and we would go on appointments and they were in some cases paying more than what the house was worth just so they could get the sign in the yard to start building some brand awareness in the community. And so I didn't believe Gary Keller when I heard him say this last year, but then I actually personally felt the impact of it in Austin And then I started calling people across the country that were competing with the iBuyer and it's, it's a real legit deal. And, you know, you can, uh, uh, Open Door, which is one of the, um, big iBuyers out there. They, uh, launched in Phoenix, Arizona and, you know, you can, you know, probably ask any real estate agent in, um, Phoenix, Arizona, how much market share they have. And it's not anything like crazy. They've got 3% market share. So it's nothing crazy. But, you know, again, it's all listing side focus, not buy side. So that's a lot of listing side transactions. And the thing is, it's not just open door. It's the fact that there's several others and each one of them is taking 3% market share. And so between, you know, collectively between all of them, they're achieving 15% market share between the big five, open door, knock, um, offer pad. There's one called Perch. And then probably the biggest player that very few people know about, may, I, probably a few people um, know about this, is uh, Zillow. Zillow is launching all over the United States, the instant offer program. And they've said publicly to investors and to Wall Street that this is where they see an additional $20 billion in revenue growth. And and Zillow's doing, I think, around a billion dollars in revenue. So that's a massive upside increase. And so I mean literally the the amount of money going into the industry is almost unquantifiable, and so I mean I can you know I now believe like wholeheartedly that um the next twelve to eighteen months, the industry is going to be drastically uh different. I think the agent population is going to go down substantially, and um you know I think agents need to need to learn how they're going to compete with these eye buyers and i'm i'm'm I'm, as you know Mike I'm a big proponent of using the team centric model where you have very specialized um, individuals within a team. So anyways, I, you know, in my opinion is I think that's one of the hedges to um, uh, beating the iBuyer, but uh, you know, they're not going to swallow the whole market. I'm not saying real estate agents are going to disappear tomorrow. I'm just saying like, you know, they're, you know, taking a pretty hefty market share and they're specifically taking market share like between zero and 500,000 and so that's where a lot of homes are trading and a s- substantial number of transactions. And so that's going to be, you know, uh, you know, if you think about 15% of the market specific to the 0 to 500,000 price point. I mean, that's like in some markets that's 40, 50, 60% market share of the total market. So anyways, um, yeah, that was our our Easter Sunday conversation. I loved it, man. And and you know,
0: one thing that I said you know, and I I do think that you're in a unique position, and I'm uh, I'm super excited about kind of um, asking you a a couple specific questions. I really one of them is you know to just kind of give the audience um, a kind of where you are right now. I'd like to kind of future pace them to where you are, and then I want to go back and talk to you how you got there. Um, so right now, what do you, in, in Austin, you were telling me about, you know, what you're investing from a marketing perspective and what you're seeing, you know, some of these companies come in and invest, you know, to get in front of the consumer.
1: Yep. So, I mean, we're, we're spending, you know, between 80 and a hundred grand a month on lead generation and, um, you know, we'll probably close around 6.5 million in GCI Um, so, you know, that's generating both buy side and listing side leads. So we're, I mean, you know, we're spending a pretty significant amount of money. I don't have like a big, massive team. I've got, um, I've got a a handful of listing agents and about, you know, 15 buyers agents, total number of salespeople, about 20. So, I mean, I guess it's, it's a, it's a large team. It's not like the biggest team. Um, you know, but my agents are incredibly efficient. My listing agents, each one is selling between 75 and 125 listings um so you know and our economic model works so that you know my agents make a lot of money and it's also very a very profitable um, business model because of how all of our splits are set up and you know just the efficiencies our agents get with um salaried staff so um yeah i mean we're you know we'll probably do somewhere between six and seven hundred closings this year in austin um i've got a um uh I went down the expand. I started going down the expansion path uh, back in 2015, and um, opened up in another market. I partnered with somebody in Amarillo, Texas, uh, in the Panhandle of Texas, a real small town in Texas called Amarillo. And um, took an agent that was doing thirty deals to one hundred in her first year, and then on to one hundred and fifty, and then this year she's on track to do two hundred and fifty in her third year. So things went really well there, and I started doing that with other people across the country: um, Albuquerque, New Mexico; Denver, Colorado; Toronto, Canada. Um, where else are we? Colleen, that's in our small town in Texas. I've got some people coming on board in Indianapolis. Um, a couple other um, people I am working with in a, at, at a very high level to help them implement the team model. So that's kind of where my, my business is uh, now. Um, Austin is kind of like my, uh, um, my lab, if you will, where we do a lot of R and D and testing and things like that. So yeah, that's where I'm at um, right now as of uh, 2019. So tell
0: me about your, so that's, that's pretty impressive. And one, one thing you pointed out is, is the amount of money these companies are investing in these markets and the margins. I was pretty blown away um, what they have to make in order to make their model work.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, I didn't answer that question. Thanks for bringing that up. So I, um, you know, I've got, uh, a, a media agency that helps me with some of our more, you know, expensive campaigns we run on like radio, TV, billboard, things like that. And there's software out there that actually tracks, you know, how much your company is spending through mass media. And so, I mean, for the last decade, I've been the biggest spender on mass media in the real estate sector in Austin. And, um, You know, uh, as of, let's see, four months ago, um, I was dwarfed by the iBuyer and they're outspending me by 300% in the real estate sector. So, you know, I'm spending, you know, like I said, 80 to 100 grand a month, depending on time of year. And um, I mean, these guys are spending uh, anywhere from two to $300,000 a month. That's per iBuyer. And what's crazy is I, I thought maybe it was just like an like something unique to my market. And then I started calling people in other cities like Dallas, Atlanta, Phoenix, and Minneapolis. And I started finding out they're actually spending even more money in these bigger markets to the tune of like half a million dollars a month per iBuyer. And so there's, there's literally like if you combined all the money being spent by these five or six big iBuyers when they enter a market. You're talking about millions of dollars per month being spent on lead generation in real estate. I mean, it's it's absolutely you know mind blowing what's being spent to you know build brand awareness and to um, you know build a database of potential uh, sellers.
0: What and, and what, what 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 are their what what do you think their game plan is? I mean, what what do you what, what are they going to do in a downturn?
1: You know, so I've I, the research I've done is, um, and what I've discovered after, you know, kind of going down this rabbit hole is when you look at um, basically when you submit your house to an iBuyer, they'll give you a net sheet where they tell you what you're going to get. And they back out all these line item expenses like closing costs, they put TBD on repairs, they um, put uh you know a um, a line item in there for what they call as a service fee and the the service fee of the iBuyer is typically between um six point five percent and fourteen percent so that's the range that they charge and that's based off of the um fair market value of the house in good you know perfect condition so uh, you know they do a little side by side comparison with an agent of you know, this is what you're going to pay with us, and this is what you're going to pay with an agent, and they try to make it to where the seller is not going to, um, you know, actually lose any money. But what it, it's a, to be honest, what we have discovered is it, it is a lot of smoking mirrors because, uh, for example, when you're negotiating a deal with a seller, you know, typically, you know, like the typical house, like you're maybe like talking fifteen hundred bucks in repairs, right? Like maybe fifteen hundred, two thousand, if it's not nothing major, you know, like the roof, HVAC. But um, the iBuyer has to get the house in perfect working order for the next buyer. And they they have to, you know, can't leave any stone um, unturned. And so, you know, typically consumers are getting hit with these huge repair, you know, estimates of 10, 15, 20,000. So what the iBuyer does is they get the seller under contract at, say, 300,000. And then after they're under contract... They have a um, somebody that works for the I buyer go and inspect the home, and then come up with an estimate of what it would take to get the house in basically perfect condition. And then they, you know, two weeks into the process, once you as a seller are mentally committed to the idea of moving out, and you've probably already found your dream house and you've already ordered the U-Haul, um, they hit you with this, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty thousand um, dollar repair hit to your net. So that's that was that's been a big um, a hole we've we've discovered, and then another big hole is how they establish fair market value. So the iBuyer does not go to your home; they are pulling um, you know public uh, data uh, that's available online, and have have an algorithm uh, set up to make an offer based off all this public uh, data. And so you know if you've made a lot of upgrades to your property, for example, like they're not going to take that into account, and so. You know, I, I uh, it's funny, I, I submitted my mom's house to an iBuyer in Austin and they put the fair market value at 375000 But But um, it's, it's, uh, it's in one of those neighborhoods where you have different types of builders. And like one builder, for example, will, you know, claim a premium of like $50,000, for example, right? So like her house was actually, you know, one of those houses that was built by a better builder. And so they traditionally sell for, you know, 10 to 15% more money. So you know, her her house would sell tomorrow for 450,000. And they um, they put in their little net sheet a fair market value of 375. Uh, and then they also, you know, back out their service fee in her particular instance, the service fee on a 375,000 dollar house was $39,000. At the end of it, she would have netted if she had took the deal, And I know if she had hired an agent paid, you know, typical commission, 6%, whatever closing costs, you know, she would have ended up um, making netting about 400,000. So she would have left roughly $66,000 on the table. Now, one thing I think people have to take with a grain of salt is like, that's a unique case, right? Because like she's in a neighborhood where you really need to understand the neighborhood. There are track home neighborhoods where the iBuyer does really, really well because there's not a big deviation from a sales price perspective. And so, you know, the fair market value they establish on their website is pretty close uh, to what the house is actually worth. And so, I think there's definitely um, a lot of value to what they're doing. I think they're going to have, a you know, be, be, a, be a major disruptor to the industry. If anybody's in the wholesale game or the house flipping game, they're going to have a huge impact on your business. Um, but, you know, I think agents just, you know, you got to step your game up and you got to really know what you're walking so, into when you're competing. Quick with question. These guys.
0: Um, you had said that you had, uh, was it Open Opendoor? Uh, is his name Steve?
1: Um, so I've never, I've never met anybody at open door. You know, I've, I've called everybody I know across the country that has, you know, spent a lot of time with the, the, the teams at open door and Zillow instant offers and knock. And um, the founder Woo, that's of it. open Eric door Woo. is Eric Wu. And I've, yep. And I've never met him. I've never talked to him. I've just, you know, I've been spending some, I spent some time. But uh, one of the things him, that he's wanting to background do is and, he, he's trying to change the consumer um, mindset. That's right. So, like, I I had a close friend of mine tell me he spent a lot of time with Eric, and again, this is all hearsay. So, who knows what the truth? But ultimately, and and this makes a lot of sense to me. Ultimately, the goal of the iBuyer and the billion and, and the billions of dollars they're going to use is to create a paradigm shift in how homeowners treat their homes. They the goal is to to get a homeowner to treat their home like a used car. And I'd be willing to bet anybody that listened to this podcast probably trades their car in. And you probably could go and post it on auto trader or, you know, cars.com or whatever, and make 10 to 15% more, but you don't. And so the goal of the iBuyer is to get consumers, you know, to treat their homes like used cars and trade them in and, Yes, they. You know, they may net um, less than if they hired an agent. Well, but I'm going to switch know, gears because I think this is completely
0: um, awesome and entertaining. But I, 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 I want to talk to you, uh, talk to you a little bit about you getting in real estate. You obviously came into real estate with a ton of money because you're spending so much money in marketing. Um, so you, you, when you started in real estate, did you just have a ton of
1: money to invest? <laughs> Man, not the case at all. So in um, you know, I uh, I was sleeping on my girlfriend's uh, couch in 2010, and uh a red IKEA couch. And I actually talk about this in the book I wrote. Um, I wrote a book kind of documenting my journey. But I mean, basically, um, what had happened was I graduated college in 2006. And, and right after graduating, I joined a real estate team. And I was operating as a, as a buyer's agent and I got really kind of demoralized, not cause like I wasn't on a good team or anything like that, but I saw a ceiling and I was just a really ambitious, you know, young person wanting to, you know, have massive upward trajectory and no limits. And I saw a ceiling being on this team and I never, I didn't dawn on me that I could go start my own team. And so I ended up getting out of the industry. I was 21 years old. I didn't even know any better. And I, um, uh i hung my license at an independent brokerage and that broker actually recommended i go and get into the oil and gas industry to learn more about um kind of the title side of real estate and i'm 21 completely ignorant and so i was like yeah sure why not so i get in that and um i was a what's called a landman for a year and a half and completely miserable uh, and, and unhappy and every evening i was still like researching learning about marketing and lead generation but i wasn't actually practicing as an agent And then, um, I had saved a bunch of money from, um, you know, being a landman and I was living super cheap and frugal. And in 2009, I invested in a a bar and restaurant and I had this, I had read something online that said when, um, the market's really bad, alcohol sales go up, which is people thought I was crazy because I don't, you know, I don't drink a ton. I work out, I'm pretty healthy. Um, so, and I had never been a bartender or waiter or anything like that in my life. And so. I invested in a, a bar and restaurant and it was a complete disaster. Um, within nine months, we were shut down and I was literally sleeping on my girlfriend's uh, red Ikea couch in her living room. And um, I, I don't know what it was. It was just something in me that, you know, was um, uh, something about me. That's just almost unemployable. I guess I just, I don't know. I, mean, I just have, I just, anything that puts restraints on me, limits my growth. I mean, I just, I have a hard time being a part of it. And so, um, I started uh prospecting my database and um I happened to still keep my real estate license active this whole time even though I wasn't an active agent but I kept it active and um I um I started prospecting through my database and then I started calling expireds and getting some listings and um and in 2000 uh, summer of 2010 I went out and got boomtown on a credit card and in 2010 that was like the best thing since sliced bread and I was generating tons of leads through posting, you know, free ads on Craigslist. And I started recruiting agents and I'd love to tell you I had this amazing story. But truth is, I started building a team in 2010 and I I recruited 20 people in the summer of 2010. Um, but 12 months went by and out of those 20 people, 18 of them sold 18 homes. And so in the summer of 2000 and the summer of 2011, I was like, just like hitting my head against a wall, and I was like, "Man, I think I need to change careers because I am not—I I was not put on this earth to train salespeople." And um, you know, probably around summer of twenty eleven, I mean, that's when things really started—you know—changing for me. I was—I was at a very humble and coachable place in my life, and so I, um, uh, you know, I, I tell—it's uh, funny—I'm I'm sharing this story with you, Mike, because I—I was—I um, had—I had just moved into an apartment with um uh, my girlfriend i had had a couple closings from sphere deals and i was able to um uh to get an apartment with my girlfriend and actually split the rent with her which was amazing the rent was like 600 bucks and my girlfriend was in college and she got a job as a leasing agent so we could have (laughs) discounted rent at the apartment (laughs) and so i could afford to pay 300 a month for the rent and um I had Boomtown on a credit card and I think I had like, I don't know, $2,000 in my bank account. And I had, um, I had talked to an agent in Dallas, Texas, and they were telling me about this guy named uh, Mike Reese and how he's, you know, in his twenties and selling hundreds of houses. And I'm like, WTF, If this mofo could sell hundreds of houses. And he's only five years older than me. I can figure this shit out. And so you know, because like when you're 21, 22, you have some limiting beliefs. You're like, man, I'm too young. People that you know aren't going to trust me. And then I, I heard about what you were doing about in Dallas. And then I found out that you had a um, a coaching business with uh, Jay Kinder, and I didn't know Jay, and I, I didn't know you either. Um, and then uh, you know I talked to somebody at your coaching company, Kinder Reese, and um, man, that that honestly was you know I, I've I've told Jay this I don't even know how many times, but that was a pretty major. Monumental shift in my life because I started getting the guidance on how to, you know, be a better salesperson and implement lead generation programs, and um, you know, I started down this, uh, you know, path of um, actually, you know, being able to successfully develop salespeople and actually generate, you know, good opportunities for them, not the the crappy opportunities that get generated by free Craigslist ads. Um, nothing against Craigslist ads, but like when that's all you're giving your agents, you're not really setting them up for success. So anyways, um, you know, my, my business grew super fast. I mean, between 2010 and summer of 2011, I closed 98 transactions, but again, that was with 20 salespeople, 18 of them sold 80, 8, 18 houses. And so me and one other guy sold 80 of them and I sold like 40, some odd of them. Um, and so anyways, I know some people might think from the outside, that sounds like a lot, but truthfully, that's in my opinion, was a huge failure because I had so many, so many agents barely selling one house um but anyways i burned everything down in the summer of um 2011 and in two short years i uh, was able to get the business um to net a million bucks um so you know from basically 2010 when i first started to, to 2013 i was able to net a million bucks after all expenses and i mean everything started changing for me after i started kind of learning the the processes and uh you know the key components of um scaling the team model. And I did it in kind of a different way. Uh, I started building the team model under a a brokerage and I started having all these, you know, limitations thrown on me. Like I would, you know, at the brokerage, there was all these protocols you have to follow through in terms of like what you do when a deal closes. And then like, you know, I kind of developed this process of recruiting and selecting talent. And, you know, basically I, I always say that the interview process is BS and you actually identify really high quality talent through the vetting process and when you when you go and like study what other really highly successful companies do like goldman sachs or like in the military you got the navy seals and in the nonprofit world there's teachers for america you know what a lot of these organizations do is you know they 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 hire somebody but when they hire them they tell them like hey your first 90 days is is basically an extension of the interview process so anyways, I started implementing some of the things I've learned from other organizations around recruiting and selecting talent and, you know, that helped amplify things. And, um, you know, I kept having all these, you know, uh, limitations put on me by the broker and all these extra expenses. And so, you know, I kind of, I went independent of any, um, of any type of uh, brokerage, uh, and it helped me, you know, invest more money into the business and uh, not have any limitations. But, you know, I'm, I, I think, um, all the you know all the big box brokers and all the different companies out there they all have a great value proposition and I think it all you know you just have to you have to create alignment you know what is it what are your goals and um you know there's you know maybe you should be an independent broker maybe you should be a part of you know a big box broker it's just you know about getting your you know your goals in alignment with their value propositions
0: so let me ask you a question and this and it's funny because I didn't know I was going to ask this, but the truth be told you know uh, first of all what's the name of your book?
1: So it's it's called the Million Dollar Real Estate Team, and you can get it on Amazon or Audible. Um, I've got it on a website right now. So if, you, if you're hearing this podcast and you go to brokeragehacking.com, you can get the book for free. You just pay shipping and handling, um, and you can go on that uh, site anytime. I've also got the um, Audible version on there. So you can buy it on Amazon if you want. If you want to save the 20 bucks or whatever it is, you can go to brokerchacking.com and get a copy of it. I mean, it's not, you know, one of these BS eBooks. I spent a year writing it and I kind of documented, you know, basically my journey of scaling the team model and kind of the key thing that I found out, um, was there's, there are very unique phases of the growth curve in the team model. Like basically, you know, there's, what I call the early climb between zero and 150 transactions. Then there's, I call it the awkward teenager stage between 150 and 300, somewhere around there. And then kind of the explosive growth stage from 300 to 500. And then once you get north of 500, again, this is all a function of your price point and gross commission. But, you know, let's say you're selling the average home 250 to 350,000. Um, once you get north of 500, you can start having the the income to being able to hire leadership so that you can plan what I call your great escape. And you can actually exit the business. And, um, you know, none of it's theory. Everything in here is stuff I'm using, like the stuff I talk about I'm using today um, and, and, and stuff we I learned and picked up along the way. And, um, you know, I kind of, I guess, you know, it's, it's like a collage of things I figured out along the way. The, you know, one of the first uh, pivotal points for me, I shared just a moment ago, was, you know, just learning the sales and legion game, which is like a key thing I learned through uh, you guys at Kinder Reese. And then, you know, I've just picked up um, things through leadership coaches along the way around recruiting and selecting talent and that vetting process. And so anyways, that's, you know, the book is you know basically a journey of um, how we pulled it off and just some of the ahas, things we did along the way that didn't work, etc.
0: Well, I will say, you know, and in, in, um, for, for you're kind of on the, You know, it's no secret that, you know, right now what we're, we went out and we started trying to partner with agents and we ran into our, our own, um, kind of bottlenecks. What I would say is I feel like you're very innovative, like, and, and you're not scared to take action. And what I mean by that is, you know, um, I remember you sending me and Jay, or you might've sent it to Jay. I just know I was in the room. You sent over a video about, you know, this big brokerage now that's EXP. It did not even exist. Yep. It wasn't even on our radar. I can honestly say the first time person that ever told me and Jay about EXP was you. And you sent over right. this video and, and I don't really, you know, the goal is not to get into that. The goal was just to point out the fact that from a relationship standpoint, you know, you've kind of always been in front of the curve. Um, and, and I remember when I came to your, um, I, I remember I was staying at the W and I checked in or something and you were like, yeah, man, I live on the top floor, come up and it was during the election and you were, li- yep. you're reading that Peter Thiel book, uh, zero yeah like zero to one, zero to one. And I came up there and I just remember when I left, I remember thinking like, Chris is a student, man. He is a student. How important has your personal development been to your success?
1: man it's i mean it's it's been huge i mean um you know I think one of the greatest secrets to growing is finding somebody that's where you you want to be and going and modeling them and you know emulating what they're doing you know i uh I had to go through a lot of very humbling experiences <laughs> to become to become coachable um I didn't quite finish telling my story earlier i was uh so i i had was um on a sales call with somebody at your coaching company, Mike, and, uh, they, um, forwarded me over to you personally. And you were, you know, basically, you know, s- pitching me on joining Kinder Reese and I'm here. I am at this apartment with my girlfriend and, uh, I, I still had massive debt from this bar and restaurant that was a complete disaster. And I've got boomtown on a credit card and I've got 20 agents and none of them are producing. And, um, uh, coaching with Kendra Reese at the time was a thousand dollars a month. And I'm like, holy shit, I don't know how I'm going to pay thousand dollars a month. But, um, you know, like something had to change and I, I knew the actions that, and the person I was at that moment was not the person that was going to get me to where I wanted to go. And so, you know, I think for, I, I think it should be a constant reminder to everybody that the, um, uh, you know, to never stop learning and to, to um, always be looking to surround yourself by people uh, that are where you want to be. And it's going to speed up the growth curve substantially. I mean, in, in my first year building the team for 2010 to 2011, we went from zero to 98 deals, but I burned it all down and had to start all over in the, in the summer of 2011. And then in two years, in two years time from zero deals in the summer of 2011 to 2013 in 2013 I did um 325 closings so like we grew super super fast and if if I hadn't have been at a point in my life where I had been was very humble um which is what made me coachable at that point in my life there would have been no way I would have ever been able to grow that fast so you know I I think we all have limiting beliefs and all these self-confirming bias and I, you know, I think you've um, you got to be constantly, you know, pushing yourself, um, finding other people to surround yourself that make you a little uncomfortable, and um, you know, uh, constantly seeking to learn and grow. Uh, it's like every time I pick up a book, I feel like you know that book has got like hundred dollar bills in it because I'm going to learn some nugget, I'm going to be able to implement in my business, and it's going to help me make you know more money and help the business, uh, grow and help people within the organization become more successful.
0: Oh, I love that. That's awesome, man. Well, the thing is, is also, you know, one of the things that I think is, um, is extremely important, you know, is, uh, is it seems like you truly, I mean, you, you weren't happy with your eight. There's a lot of teams out there, brother, that are, you know, their productivity per agent is very low and that bothered you. And now your productivity per agent is, obviously high. So, you know, I'm sure that, that came from, it sounds to me like, you know, you, you care a lot about the people and probably have a great culture around there.
1: Yeah. I mean, man, I, I, and that's, you know, I, that was probably one of the hardest things for me to figure out. Like I didn't understand what culture meant. I thought it was like beanbags and like foosball tables and stuff. And it, and, you know, I'm, I'm like a, you know, if you gave me the disc test, I'm a DC and so it's all about like the numbers and like just take take actions A B C D and E, and uh, you get the result. And you know that's 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 actually not how you increase the outcome or productivity of your team. And that was a very hard thing for me to grasp. You know, I I would hear people say to me, and you you learn this in sales training that your mindset has a massive impact on how successful you're going to be. It's it's like a Pareto's principle, the eighty twenty rule. You know, the twenty percent that's going to yield eighty percent of your results in sales is your mindset. And so, as a leader and a business owner, you have to learn to create an environment where people want to be in the office, and you know they are they're excited and they're in that playful type of mindset. Um, you know, so that when they're getting on the phone and they're talking to you know prospective clients, they're you know not coming from a place of like negativity they're coming from a place of optimism and you know they're having fun and excited and you know if you're you know working a buyer lead for example i mean who's who's going to win the agent that's like super excited to be talking to a potential buyer on the phone or the or the buyer's agent that's talking to a buyer that's like hey i want to go see this house and the buyer's agent in their mind they're like oh god i don't want to like spend saturday afternoon driving to go show them this house you know like it's just you know it's such a big mindset game and so understanding culture and um how as a leader and an owner you can help improve the environment of um you know uh, of your team and and the impact that can have is is pretty amazing
0: yeah it's absolutely amazing well i want to i want to ask you a question and this is just you know, if you could go back in time and you were a brand new agent in today's market, this is going to be extremely valuable because this is the question I always get asked. So I'm super um, and I don't know if I'm answering it right. So I'm going to take notes. But if you could like go back in time, like go back. Let's not even say go back in time. If you had if you had to start from scratch, knowing what you know now in a complete separate market, but you had all the same limitations, resources that you you know, you, you basically had. Um, almost nothing. I mean, you're starting from scratch. What would you do in order to set yourself up for failure? What, you know, if your goal was to get back to where you are now, what, 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 what advice um, or what action would you take? Because, and the reason I'm asking this is because, you know, the shocking truth is, and this is maybe me leading the witness here, but um, what I feel like is there's principles and no matter how passionate you are, You know, I told a guy today, you know, we were talking, I said, well, you know, it really doesn't really, it doesn't matter what your split is or what you're doing. It sounds like you have no customers and you have no real plan on how to get customers. And I don't care whether it's a swimming pool company, a dry cleaners. I don't care if you're going to go start a movie theater. I mean, um, every business needs customers. And so like, that's kind of been, in my opinion, you know, learning how to generate a client, um, what would you what, if, what what advice would you give or what steps would you give to somebody you know who who's trying to get in real estate and they're and they're in that unfortunate position where they need it to work are they going to have to go back into corporate america
1: yeah so i mean so my context would be right so you said i would have all the knowledge i have today um, so if if my 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 typical answer to that question is I would go and find somebody that is where I want to, where I want to be. Like basically, you know, like for example, like, let's say I want to build a team selling 500, thousand houses. I would go and like become best friends with that person and maybe even work for free for them. If I had to like, whatever it took to like learn from them, that'd be my typical answer. But if you're telling me, I already know what I know now. Um, and I could go back in town, go back in time. And all I have is the knowledge in my head. Um, but I don't have any money. Yep. I would um, I would spend all of my time focusing on finding talent. There's there's a um, you know there's there's a there was this very popular book in the real estate industry written, and it says when you're in the real estate industry, you are in the lead generation game. That's the business you're in, and I I don't agree with that. I think if you want to own a job. For the rest of your life, you're in the lead generation game. And there's another great book out there called um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And I'm sure lots of people on this call have read it. And there's a quadrant in there. And it's like E at the top left corner and then S at the bottom left corner and then B at the top right corner and then I at the bottom right corner. And the difference between the left-hand side and the right-hand side is – the business owner and the investor on the right-hand side they don't trade their time for money and the people on the left-hand side the employees and the self-employed they have to trade their time for money and so you know i started off like most people trying to be the best agent i could be and what i realized is there's a lot of diminishing return there you know there's only so many deals you can close you know you can become a rainmaker have all these you know people underneath you and you know, sell, you know, hundreds of houses, but you are still self-employed and you own a job. You can't, you wouldn't be able to go on vacation for three months. You would get pulled back in to your organization. Um, and so there's, um, in my opinion, there's this thought that if you want to make that transition from being a self-employed agent, owning a job to owning a business, it's all about leveraging yourself and finding other people to focus on very specialized roles. And then you leading them to success. So your question was, if I could take everything I knew now, back to day one, the truth is like on day one, if I knew everything I knew now about being a great real estate agent, I would be empowered to lead other people to success. And that's you know a servant leader, ultimately. And by being a servant leader and helping other people get where they want to go, it's going to help you grow a business that will run without you, um, and you're going to get there a whole lot faster than you would if you just focused on out of the gate lead generation. So, you know, if you're, you know, if someone's listening to this podcast and you've and you've been in real estate for less than a year, um, yeah, I would say you need to go master sales and lead generation. Well, or, or lead generation and lead conversion. But if you're listening to this podcast and you've been in real estate for four to five years, I mean, there's, you know, there's a, you got to make, you got to make a decision. Do you want to follow the traditional team model where you're the rainmaker at the top, but you don't really ever have the ability to step out of the business without getting pulled back in? Um, Or do you want to run a a business that's self-sustaining and doesn't um, actually need you and you can literally collect a shareholder distribution check? And, and to do that, there's a, you know, there's, there's, um, a lot of changes you have to make to the organizational structure, which you're not going to find in any of the real estate books published right now, um, in the industry around what the actual organizational chart looked like. So again, if I could go back in time, I'd, I'd be a servant leader. I would be focused on finding the who and, um, aligning with them to build a self-sustaining business.
0: I like it, man. Great stuff. Great stuff. Well, what question did I not ask you that you, that I, that I should have?
1: I guess, you know, so I don't know. I don't know if you want to get into, we could get into a little bit of a debate if you want to about, I mean, just the, the general, you know, revenue share, revenue share model. I mean, I don't know if you want to go down that path, but we could. Um, so, you know, I, um, you know, um, I believe, whole, I'm not part of EXP, but I believe wholeheartedly that they, um, one, one upped KW and I did a, um, a demo of EXP God, I think it was two and a half years ago and I recorded it and I sent it to, um, Jake you and Jay. And, um, I had Gene Frederick in my office and, um, great guy, unbelievable guy, and like, I mean, I, th- I think EXP crushed the model and, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I have no doubt in my mind they're going to be, you know, continually be on this massive upward exponential growth curve. But, um, the, you know, my, you know, a lot of, I'm sure, I'm sure you could probably ask me, you know, I guess the question you'd ask me is, Chris, why didn't you jump on, the question you'd ask me is, why didn't you jump on the revenue share model two and a half years ago when you learned about it? And my answer to that would be it's the same reason I didn't jump on the revenue share model when I learned about Keller Williams revenue share model back in 2010. Right. So I, something I told you guys about my backstory was, um, you know, I graduated college. I joined this real estate team and I, you know, I felt like I didn't have any control over my destiny. And then I go and start this bar and restaurant and it's, you know, total failure and, you know, things have fallen apart. And ultimately, you know, one of the reasons why that um, bar and restaurant failed was we, the economy was so bad, like the entire um, alcohol and beverage commission went down that year, 30, 40, 50%. So like, if you go and research in Texas, it's public data, like TABC, the Texas alcohol beverage commission posts up alcohol sales and it was down, Um, depending on which city you're in between 30 and 50%. And our niche was doing these, you know, private parties and things like that for professional organizations and stuff like that. And um, so, so, you know, massive failure. And I didn't have any control over the outcome because the market crashed. Um, And then I got into the oil and gas industry, absolutely miserable, felt like I had no control over my destiny. And so, you know, one of my, one of the reasons why I didn't I wasn't interested in the KW RevShare model or, or the XP RevShare model is because it doesn't put me in control of my destiny. Gotcha. And, and so I'm like, I mean, there's lots of people making a lot of money at eXp. And if I was at eXp, I could probably be making, I don't know, a hundred to $500,000 a month. I mean, if I joined two and a half years ago, I would be making half a million dollars per month. <laughs> like no doubt. And like that may sound super crazy to people. You're like, okay, Chris, you sacrifice you know, you made a massive sacrifice or you made a really bad decision. <laughs> but the truth is, is like, man, I I'm like, I, I got so I got so tainted with so many failures.
0: Well, I well, what I think is true, which is amazing because like I didn't say anything. You kind of asked yourself these questions along the way, but I'm super fascinated because the cool thing about what you're doing right now, and I'm like smiling ear to ear, is, um, you know, the first thing, in my opinion, is that when you looked at EXP, it's not what it is now, just for the record. Sure. You know, when you looked at it, um, it would have, it, it definitely, you know, it's like a, it's like Infusionsoft, right? Like, uh, Infusionsoft was, was great. Boomtown was great. The reason why Commission Zinc was better than Boomtown, if you look at their valuation— was because back then, um, emailing the homes to the buyer, the email server that notified the buyers of the homes was more important than giving the agent the ability to send emails after the home. So what that means is we had to create technology, and I wanted to go back to your technology, by the way, so let's not uh, miss that, because there's a huge opportunity, um, especially with people like uh, wanting to move big brokerages over to eXp. Me and Jay talked about this yesterday. Um, But the point is, is that, um, you know, Dwayne Legate was, was, was willing to do the things that other people would not do because they were there. It's like good is the, the evil of great. When I would go to Howard um, and talk about, Hey, with Tiger Lee Hey, can we, he would do an integration, but you know, when a buyer looks at a home, if I wanted to do any type of automation that now people do, they didn't do back then. An agent couldn't email um, a homeowner out of the system like they can today. Those things now are table stakes. But at the time, that was kind of the the secret sauce was, hey, we send emails to buyers, they click on them, they save homes to their favorites, and when they do that, we don't want to we do not want to um uh, risk the potential of our email deliverability because and so the argument, and I've been in the I've been I've had this conversation with a lot of the top lead generation platforms, all the ones that we have discussed and made those requests back then, they ended up coming to the conclusion. But to to be honest with you, they weren't really. They weren't looking out for the agent. Dwayne came in and his client was the agent. It was, he was like, how can I help the agent build a better business? How can I lower, how can I lower um, their cost per lead? How can I take the dialers they're paying for and take those? I mean, literally I would be with Dwayne um, and I just hypoth- I just coincidentally was with him last week at the Kentucky Derby, but he would always say, what's the next thing on your credit card and how do I take it off? He was an advocate determined to make the agents, um, life better by lowering their expenses and giving them one place where they could work from. The other people were playing defense when he was playing offense. And I believe that I believe that other people had gotten a certain amount of market share with certain timing, but then their ability to really take advantage of the opportunity in the marketplace was, it's a lot hard. like when people have wealth, one of my buddies and you, you, you do know them that it's extremely wealthy. He says, one of the, one of the challenges Mike is going from trying to make it to trying to keep it right. Like, you spend all this time trying to make it. And then there's this one day you wake up in the morning and you're trying to keep it. And so there's this, there's this like offenses versus defense play that happens. And, 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 and in all reality, um, I believe just like you believe that, um, that what you're, and I have a, I have an understanding of what you're doing now. There's, but there is a, there's a video that I'm going to send you and I might play the audio as a segment in this section where in 2005, J Abraham, have you seen the J Abraham video where jay asked him what he would do about duplicating the model of real estate have you ever seen it before oh dude i got no i gotta got play this for you it's unbelievable he does you know what he says to do he's he says pretty much listen to this. i think i can play this i'll send it to you but he basically tells jay to do exactly what it is that you're that that, that you're doing and the reason why and this was kind of the the um this was kind of a lot of the motivation behind um, what we originally did was he was basically saying, guys, listen, you know, your businesses aren't really sellable. Um, you know, my business isn't sellable. That's kind of quote unquote, you know, he says, if it was, if it was me, what I would do is I would go partner with agents. Um, and, and he goes into what that, what that description is. And, um, and he says, if you could get a hundred of those and he, I'm going to send you the video. He says, if you could do that a hundred times, now that's something that's sellable. Right. And so, when you think about the initial intent, like when we went out to start Partner, our only goal was to create more value in the market. No, no different than you know when you're say you're you're unhirable, You know, even the team model at one point put a lid on your on your business. It was like, man, how do I, how do I, how do I leverage what I've done and even take it to the next level, which yep. naturally gives For you that. Sure. Well, let's expand into other markets. Yep. And then I think you were one of the few people on the damn planet. That was like it, putting their money where their mouth is, because you you started building your own technology, right? And you once you start kind of going down that road and making those hefty investments, um, there there's a return that you want to get, you know. And there's a there's a there's an asset that you're creating that that you know um, that's far and be uh, far above and beyond, um, you know. It's it's like Dwayne Legate. Dwayne Legate did really really well, right?
1: Two hundred and sixty some odd million dollars, right? Something like that.
0: Yeah, I don't know the number. I just know that he did really, really well, and and I know that um, um, the that the ultimate goal, you know, that 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 you and and that that we were trying to do was trying to figure out how to capture more of the value in the marketplace that existed based upon what we had learned up to that point.
1: I guess you know my perspective is, and again, I'm totally um, unbiased here because I'm not with KW, I'm not with DXP, I'm not with any. I've never. In the last decade, I've never had an affiliation with any major company. When I joined, I was only affiliated with KW for three or four months. And then I joined an independent brokerage that was very small, boutique um, you know, I'm, I'm very unbiased here and, and don't have a, a fight in the game. So my opinion is from a revenue share perspective, if you want to focus on recruiting agents and you know, maybe be an agent or run the team. Um, I mean, you're going to make the most money, no doubt with EXP. XP. Um, you know, I think it's probably kind of to be, to be determined uh, what kind of value, like for example, the KW technology stack will bring, like who knows when that's actually going to be done. Um, obviously the revenue share model is not as advantageous as EXP's. XP's. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I think if you want to be an agent, you want to recruit agents, um, build passive income that way. Like, I mean, I would tell anybody listening to this podcast, you should join EXP. Um, my, my, uh, again, my whole, my whole reasoning two and a half years. And again, two and a half years ago, EXP, I think only had 3000 agents and I think they're on track to have like 30,000 agents this year, which is amazing growth. I mean, absolutely incredible. Um, but my my opinion back then, and I still hold it tilt to today, is um, you know, I want to have a great deal of predictability and control in my business. So not and again, I'm not knocking EXP, KW, or any of these brokerages, but when you're building a business underneath somebody else's business, that company can make changes. And so, you know, there's um I actually got introduced to this guy through you, Mike and Jay. Uh, there's a guy named Vern Harnish. He's got this great tool called the One-Page Strategic Plan. And you kind of start off building your One-Page Strategic Plan going through a SWOT analysis. And, um, you know, one of your weaknesses of building a business underneath somebody else's business is if that company makes any kind of changes logistically, you have to comply. Or let's say, for example, you know, there was a a letter floating around about Keller Williams, uh, I think a week ago. And I don't know how true this is or how accurate this is, but there was a letter floating around about Keller Williams. And what the letter said was, is the leadership council was trying to decide if they should um, eliminate the downstream revenue agents were receiving um, if they went to go work for a competitor. I mean, imagine how bad that would suck, right? Like you spent 10, 15, 20 years at this brokerage, you were kicking butt as an agent, you've got agents there, and then you learn about this better business model, you go and join EXP. And then KW is like, hey, sorry, we're not gonna give you your downline revenue because you left. So that's a weakness in building a business underneath this underneath somebody else's business. And and same with EXP, like um, you know, it's a publicly traded company, agents can own, if I understand correctly, the 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 total shares outstanding of Keller Williams, uh, I'm sorry, of EXP are set up to where 20% are allocated to agent ownership. And then the rest are institutional investors and Glenn and, um, his, his ex-wife. So anyways, man, I'm, I'm, I'm not an EXP. I could be totally way off here. I have no clue how the shares are standing. I guess my point is, is like, it's, it's, you know, you don't have any control over, for example, if the revenue share calculator ever gets changed and, you know, to, um, you know, to, uh, to my point like you know i think i understand recently the the rev share calculator did get changed like nothing you know huge right they like you know but they put a requirement in there that if you have someone in your downline they have to have produced at least two deals in a year i mean it's a pretty damn reasonable you know re- request right and it shouldn't change anybody's
0: but yeah but that was yeah that wasn't the change though that 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 was their okay
1: we started. i my I, my whole point is is like you know, I was as an individual. Yeah. I was, you know, um, I was tainted, you know, at a young age, <laughs> where yeah. I got involved in in things where I didn't have a lot of control over my destiny. And so, um, you know, I'm very sensitive. I guess when I think about the SWOT analysis and the weaknesses, and the thing, and, and another like key component I learned in uh, in the team model, which I don't think you know anybody. Is preaching. It doesn't matter what coaching company it is. Um, but nobody's preaching around how much massive effort has to go into recruiting. So, like, for example, a lot of agents are told focus on lead generation, and you got your three-hour time block focus on lead generation. And if you're if you're somebody like listening to this podcast, for example, and you don't want to be an agent any longer, there's this transition to becoming that business owner, like Robert Kiyosaki talks about and. To make that transition, you have to actually start shifting that three-hour time block from legion to, to developing talent, and you've got to create a funnel for talent generation so that you're picking the cream of the crop, like kind of like the Navy SEAL type deal, right? You onboard, you know, call it five agents, and you take them through a ninety-day vetting process, and you end up keeping one of them. My point of bringing this example up is because if you're if you're operating the team-centric model you're trying, you know, you're investing, you're basically bankrolling somebody else's success and you need to get a return on your investment and you need them to perform and have success. And so if, you know, if you're not finding highly talented people, um, you're going to have a negative outcome, which is exactly what I experienced in 2010. And kind of the, uh, the epiphany or aha I had was, you know, when I started studying these other industries like Navy SEALs, Teachers for America, Goldman Sachs, and started learning about the extreme vetting process. And, you know, what I kind of discovered was, you know, when I think about my funnel of developing talent, I need to get seven people to sign a letter of intent saying they're going to join my, my company. And then five of them are actually going to show up. Like five will actually show up. Like two of them are not going to show up because... Some life event Some, you know, like something somebody told them, like, don't go into real estate. We're about to go into recession, whatever. Um, I'll have five people show up. And then at the end of 90 days, if I've, like, followed the funnel correctly, I'll have one person that's going to be a complete badass, you know, and they're going to outsell the competition by five, six, 700%. And this is how I've, you know, been able to consistently find listing agents that sell 75 to 125 homes. Um, so in the in the team model, if you're implementing this type of pro- this process where you're it's like an extreme vetting process, like imagine what your broker is going to say when you have five people join the brokerage and you're only keeping one of them like that can have a negative impact on the brand of the brokerage. Um, and so, another... so, I, I
0: want, so, so I want I want to say one thing, because I didn't know if you were I, so just so you know, and I'm going to go back and listen to this. I didn't know if you were. When you had kind of teed this up, if we were going back and forth over the pros and cons or if you're if you were just sharing your perspective, because I do have from what I'm hearing you say. And this is where I'm kind of not confused, but you can do a team model at Keller Williams. You can. So like I know I know people I know people right now that grew a real estate team. um, And this is the problem is they have a real estate team. They're doing about six million, about the same volume as you. Um, but I also know they have problems and, and the problems is they do have turnover. They have things that are, um, that they just didn't get right. And for them, they're pulling their hair out. Right. And then, and then I was sitting next to a guy who was partners and you can probably reverse engineer who I'm talking about. Um, but they were on pace to do 31 million in commissions, bro commissions. Okay. So you, you can, you know who that is, um, And and they were I don't know exactly how much ownership I just know that a lot of the big, um, a lot of big companies were were um, looking at at hiring this guy. He had parted ways, and he was sharing with me, you know, kind of um, where their model had gotten to in order to produce, you know, um, in order to run a business at that level with those amount of over that amount of overhead. And so, you know, one one thing that I think is important is that you know no really no two real estate teams run the same. Right. And, um, and what I think you were saying is, is that there's, there's a benefit. Um, I think all the benefits, one of the things I think about at eXp, and this is just my perspective is that the ability to expand and, and to grow a team and stuff like that. You know, I think, I think, um, revenue share comes, you know, when I talk to people about eXp, I just talk to them about the, um, a lot of the other benefits, they like the revenue share because they there's something that they can actually get. They like the stock because they don't get any stock right now. Um, obviously, stocks go up and stocks go down. They just know that where they're currently at, they don't get offered any of those types of opportunities. So I think it's it's more in, in the rich dad, poor dad um, thing. It's, it's the additional streams of revenue um, that they're able to take advantage of. Um, And I think from a value proposition, man, this is just my perspective. What I think they got right is, you know, they have a value proposition for the guy who is Michael Reese, who's I mean, I listed 368 homes that got no fun. Just like for you, I I expanded into another market. I expanded into partners Um, that became heavy as well. Right. That became and there became a point for me anyway, where I got more fulfillment out of helping agents get to the next stage but i didn't you know there were some people that took action and some people didn't that didn't and so i like for me it was like ray dalio ray dalio number one hedge fund manager in the world he says i want to do meaningful work with meaning with with meaningful people right the book principles so for me you know helping the right person somebody that actually believed in getting fulfillment out of helping them go from wherever they are wherever they're at in their journey they could be you know, trying to add their first agent, they could be trying to go independent shoot, they could be trying to take over the world. Like working with that person is, is, is fulfilling for me. Um, and so being able to send up to that platform where there's no lid and you can go across, you know, you can go across state lines and, um, not have all those complexities. Cause I, I did, I did go across state lines with the, with the partner model and, and, you know, it served us some complexities that, you know, for, for me at the time, um, I could still build my team. I could do the stuff. I could sell real estate really is what I could do. I could sell real estate, um, and lead those people like you're talking about, you know, find, I think finding talent in another market is, is, you know, it's, um, I think Gary Keller said it. I think he said when they, he, he, he had a study at Baylor university and they said, in order to build the largest brokerage in the world, it was going to take three key hires. Right. And so, Um, and, and I remember when I went to Inc 500, 5,000, the first time, you know, um, Jim Collins came out on stage and had a little piece of paper and he said, no matter what I say, I've interviewed the top CEOs in the world. and I'm going to tell you seven out of uh, seven out of 10 of them all said the number one thing that they did, the number one decision they ever made in business was a person decision, meaning actually hiring a specific person was the number one decision that led to their success more than any other decision. Right. Um, and, and that's where, you know, I sat in the back of the room, brother, and I swear to you, I went to I went to Washington to the founder of Glenn's house. I don't know how much time you spent with Glenn. And um, he has a very cool setup and he and, he, and, and I'd never really spent much time with him, um, you know, and 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 he talked about um, he talked about kind of his vision and the things that he was wanting to do. And, bro, he. I went back to Vancouver, which was about an hour drive from his house. And um, he laid out all these things. And then I came back a month ago. And I swear to you, if that man didn't execute almost everything that he ever talked about. And I sat in the, I sat in the room and looked at Jay and I said, this man is either doesn't sleep and is a genius or he's crazy. Right. Because I don't know how, you know, he could be talking about concepts and visions and then following through with them. And so, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, to be successful, Chris, you're going to have to, you know, they what do they say? Like to really change, you, you know, uh, an entrepreneur, I think it was Steve Jobs, you have to be misunderstood um, for a while, right? Like people don't really understand what you're doing until you've actually changed something. And then it's like, oh, okay, that I get it. Um, that's what I think I see inside of eXp. What I see inside of eXp is I see people who are contributing to each other at a higher level than they would, even if you were paying them, because it's like, the whole environment is stronger than will. And, um, there's this environment of collaboration that you get when you go pay a coach, but, you know, instead of having to make that like investment on your credit card and then go buy this tool, or I I feel like they, they set up the agent to have just a better real estate career than anybody else that's offering a real estate agent, a career in real estate, you know? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you could go buy a real estate brokerage and you have the money, you know, you got six figures to, to shell out and go buy some, you know, you know, um, opportunity that doesn't exist anymore. Like, you know, I love Lawrence theory. I think they're the best gym in the world, but you can't buy one in Frisco. They're not for sale. Right. So like the, you, you could be a personal trainer. You could love the concept, but you can't get one. Someone already bought it. And so for me, I think it gives every agent the opportunity to be a shareholder and an owner. And if that means that over time they run into other agents and they share that with, and they get they get uh, they get what's the word that I'm looking for? They get compensated for their con- contribution to growing the company, um, and that's not done after expenses but off of the top. I think it's just a plus. So,
1: you said some interesting things. You uh, validated a couple of points for me. You know, you asked me ten years. You said if I could go back in time and I knew what I knew now, what would I focus on? And you mentioned lead generation. I mentioned. I said I would focus on the people and you had mentioned that uh, Jim Collins was on stage talking about that. <laughs> that was good to hear you say. So um, I, I think, I think EXP for, for uh, somebody that wants to be an agent or um, run a team, but a different type of team where they're like coaching agents across the country and they don't have the liability of like, you know, the financial burden or, you know, the, the burden of like delivering hard assets to their, you know, expansion partner, if that's what you want to call it. Um, I mean, I think it's a great, I think it's, it's the best model out there, but I, you know, I think if you want to um, if you want to build a, a self-sustaining business where you have predictability and control and you don't have that, the, the fact, you know, this uh, uh, underlying, Piece I would put underneath the weakness category, which is, the fact, you're building a business underneath somebody else, and they can change the rev share calculator, or um, the stock price can go to zero, or, um, you know, you, you've got, you know, you've got, uh, you've got a lot of um, add on expenses of building a team. And I'm not pointing out exp. I mean, this is at any brokerage with the, you know, any brokerage. If you're building anywhere uh, you build a team. Yeah, anywhere, anywhere you build. Um, Anywhere you build a team, doesn't matter what brokerage it is, you have a lot of um, expenses, and you know they and money is a very sacred resource um, in the beginning stages of your of your business. And if you invest the money in the right place at the right time, it's going to help you grow substantially faster. So, you know, I'm you know, I, I one thing I I would love to hear about, or, or man, I wish Jay was on this call because I remember hearing Jay on stage once talk about how he started, you know, he had this, he had the number one team in London, Oklahoma, 20, 30% market share. And every time he left, he felt like he would get pulled back in the business, right?
0: Yeah. In in 2008, um, I was there. Uh, he, he definitely got pulled back into the business. So I think, I think, I think, I think a lot of people, I think, I think a lot of people, you know, run into that.
1: So my, um, and Jay was an independent broker, so he didn't have the restrictions. and he still got pulled back into the business, right?
0: Yeah. yep. and, and, so my- and but the but the one thing that's on there is I never I, I mean I never really replied to that, but I never you know, I stepped out of my real estate business way um, I never got pulled back in. you know i'm I'm not saying um, I think his average transaction price was really low. Um, and I think transaction prices cover a lot of sins and you, I think you'd agree with that. Yeah. And so, you know, he's in Latin Oklahoma, a hundred thousand dollar sales price in Dallas. You know, I, I stepped out of the business, ran the coaching company, started a new uh, partner program, sold 268 transactions from scratch. Didn't go on one appointment, never got pulled into the business, you know, was on the road 88 days that year, selling a software, almost had the company sold, which I do want to end um, just with, uh, I, I want to give you at least three minutes to plug in your software. Cause if someone does listen to this, um, I just think what you built was completely cool. I want to, I want to anchor this point, but I don't want to miss out on that.
1: Yeah. The, I guess the, the last little nugget I wanted to drop into, to like Jay's point and something I would love to talk to, you know, you guys more about, but I feel like a big thing, you know, a big, um, coaching thing or training thing missing in the real estate industry is that transition. You've got to go from being in the S quadrant to the B quadrant because very few people like actually can exit the business and have a self-sustaining business. And, you know, I, um, you know, as I went down this rabbit hole, like studying these other companies. So,
0: so can I ask you one question? Family- there? You're going to make me miss. Yeah, go ahead. So, so self-sustaining business, let's just say you got a self-sustaining business. Yeah. Which- I, I, I grew a yep. hundred thousand dollar passive revenue for over seven years in affiliate income. Okay. Half a hundred thousand. Okay. Yep. So right now, if you want to grow, and this is just something
1: I don't, I don't consider that if I don't really truly consider that passive income.
0: Okay. Let's just say that you did. Right. Let's just say that it, if it was like, let's say that the point that I would, that I would say is that, um, that money came as a result of me working and, and, um, whatever I was working on the, 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 the result of that me doing nothing um income came from 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 what i was building if that makes sense um what would be a good analogy sure. um you know it it would be I, like it'd be I, like maybe maybe it's residual then maybe we'll call it residual is that better Re- residual income came in monthly i didn't have to go and, and earn the income again right
1: so, I mean, the key thing, right? right. Robert Kiyosaki's deal is like if you have to trade time for money or if the money can disappear because somebody makes a, you know, some kind of fundamental change to the business that you don't have control over, it's not an investment or a business. So you, you know, affiliate money, you're, you essentially own a job. And then as soon as that product dies or the model dies or whatever, you have to get back in, get your hands dirty and you you're back owning a job again until you build the affiliate revenue back. Right. I, well, I, I, so I like, guess, it's, it's a a well, yeah, but I, what I know? would
0: say is, you know, I won't get into the companies cause I can't say that, but I mean, none of them have died. Um, they're all still in business. And, and so I guess that you could use those on anom- anom- I mean, that's like a tornado coming in and, and blowing over your real estate office. Right. Um, but to me that never had happened. Um, um, not that I, uh, well, that's not true. There, there actually was a point when that did happen in the very beginning. We had, a, we had a guy that lost, <laughs> uh, yeah, we, problem, we had a guy man. that lost uh, litigation and quit paying us overnight. So I think your, your statement is warranted actually. Um, my only point was not to call it residual passive. My only point was to say, you know, what you would have to have in the bank. If you sold your business right now for $12 million, this business that you created Okay, this thing that you you stuck in there, you created and, and you sold it for twelve million and uh you had it earning five percent interest in the bank, what would you get from that twelve million a month?
1: Five yeah. percent interest, twelve million?
0: Fifty thousand.
1: Yeah, so you get you get fifty thousand. So 50, in order
0: month. to create twenty-four thousand, you'd have to if you wanted to get a hundred bucks a month, you'd have to have twenty-four thousand in the bank at five percent. If you wanted to create ten thousand a month, you'd have to have to, you'd have to sell your business for $2.4 million. Um, And if you really break down, like if you go back and look at like. Um,
1: but my, I, I know where you're going with this argument, but the thing is, is like my, my belief is that if I took the time building my own business in, in like one core place and was extremely focused, I could get that business to sell for $12 bucks versus building up a revenue down you know downline yeah. uh, revenue stream yeah and, and that's fifty thousand. and that 12 million yeah, well i was offered i was
0: offered um i had a business that was um we had a contract on for uh, i guess it would have been less than 12 months ago it would have been somewhere between 15 and 20 million and to me um and this is weird that we're even having i just had this conversation with woods in my office um, that I, I would, I would say that, you know, the, 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 the monthly revenue share, depending on how you feel about the business, to me, that's valuable as valuable as having the money in the bank. That's all I was saying. Cause we had this conversation like, man, if you had the money in the bank or you had this, which one would you prefer? And this was just a random, you know, in between calls conversation. And so, you know, I guess some people would, you know, some people would rather have the the 12 million at 5%. Um, You know, for me, I would I would want the I'd want something that the the 12 million is not growing. Right. It's not growing. Um, And so if it was in an apartment complex, the apartment complex could go up in value. Right. Um, But having that money in the bank, that was our conversation. So that's what I was. That's what I was. That was my point. We were just talking about if we had a big lump sum, where, where would we put it?
1: I mean, my big thing is, like, man, ultimately, like, I'm a, I'm a big advocate for the independent brokerage using a team-centric model um, just to have more control over things. And then, you know, there is there is um, value to an independent brokerage using the team model. Um, you know, there's a, uh, who is it, the guy in Dallas, right, Russell, sold um, to uh, Berkshire Hathaway. So, like, there's a lot of... You know there's a lot of value to building a really successful team and i think it becomes even more valuable if you do it as an independent broker and um i i you know my 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 i guess the, again back to what i said earlier about the coaching industry uh, a key component i feel like missing where a lot of people have shortcomings is on that transition of going from a self-employed agent to owning a business because there's not a lot of training out there on how to be a great leader and like how to help lead others to success and create a unambiguous career trajectory path and like have the assets to give to an agent so that they can have success and have quality leads and everything at their fingertips to be you know be successful and that transition is what helps you have a business that can operate without you and you know like as an example in um in in military you know you've got um you know this the the military by the way is like studying the organizational structure in the military is fascinating because if you think about it they have to take kids coming out of high school and like they've got to have a structure in place where people are held extremely accountable to save lives and you know so the the leadership um training that people go through in the military is quite fascinating and something that can be adopted in real estate brokerage develop leaders within your own team and your your own organization. Because once you have a leadership trajectory path and develop leaders within your organization, then you have people that can actually run the business for you and you can become truly a a business owner, CEO, or investor in it. Um, I don't know if anybody on here has read that book, Great Game of Business, but that's another, you know, really cool inspirational story about setting up a um, ESOP employee stock ownership plan, which you can do for a privately held company like LLC and, yeah, that's how you can truly get to a point where you've, you know, got a self-sustaining business that you don't have to get plugged into. And so, I'd love to learn more about, um, you know, uh, Jay's experience. I know Lon was—it's an incredibly challenging market because of um, price point, and then you just have a small pool of talent to pull from. Um, but you know, I, anyways, I'm, I'm a. I, I think know. what
0: Jay would tell you is that he wouldn't pick that market if he had to start yeah. all over again. Yeah. I think he'd say, I, "Man, I would probably pick a better market if I could pick. Win before you start."
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Anyways, well, man, I don't really dude, have, I'm not really going anywhere with this, man. I'm, I don't really have any, like, you know, agenda. <laughs> Just you know, well, yeah, debating well, a little yeah, bit about, uh, you know,
0: I think it's great, man. I, I think it's great. One of the things I got a tremendous amount of respect for you, and obviously, when you're passionate about something, the truth is, is that you're, you're, what you're doing is beyond remarkable. I don't know. You know, I don't know how – I'm beyond impressed by what you've done, what you're doing, and, and to be honest with you, you've, you've shared a little bit of your vision, and um, I don't know anybody. And I mean that. I've known a lot of top agents. I just don't know anybody else that's um, um, more likely to pull it off and pulling it off. I mean, what you're doing is is freaking unbelievable, and I know it's a lot of work. I know it's hard work, and you're an extremely talented dude because you're not just – you're not just building the the real estate business. You're having to build the technology and all the systems and processes and um, and and so it's beyond impressive of, of from where you came and where you are now.
1: <laughs> hey, I I man I man I swear every single time I tell Jay you know there's a, a, you'll hear this saying you know you hear a lot of people say throughout life you'll meet like one or two people you know, throughout your life that'll literally, you know, are going to change your entire life. And, um, and I feel like every time I see you or Jay, I always tell you guys this, but I mean, I mean, if if I hadn't have met, if I had not have met you, if I have not, if you had not convinced me to get into Kendra Reese coaching, I honestly don't know. I don't know if I would be where I am today. I mean, it was, it was the, uh, it was the beginning, you know, you guys set me on the right path to knock the first domino down of, lead generation and lead conversion and, um, you know, kind of, uh, lit the fuse if you will, to get me going. And so I'm, you know, I mean, I shoot every single person I meet, I tell them like, go get coaching. And I mean, literally the, the coaching I got from working with Jay, what's interesting is like, I only worked with Jay for like three months. Like he was so busy. Like he could only, like he had a hard time getting on the coaching calls and stuff. Cause he's running around like crazy. And, um, so I, you know, I coached with Jay directly for like three months and then I had to change coaches. But what I learned in three months literally took me two years to implement, like no joke. Like I didn't, you know, I, I, I got so much knowledge and so much out of, um, the three months that I uh, coached with Jay that, I mean, it's, it's literally single-handedly the one reason I was you know able to, um, to grow so fast. And then, you know, I guess just taking that same principle of, Uh, find people a lot smarter than you, you know, I started investing in leadership coaching and trying to understand how to be a servant leader and developing talent and creating culture and putting systems in place to set people up for success. And, um, you know, kind of the rest was history, but you guys definitely, uh, you know, that I wouldn't be sitting where I am today without, without um, what I learned from you guys. I well, appreciate I
0: appreciate it. you brother. And I appreciate your um, kind words, but you've done all you, 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 we might've helped change the way you think, but you took massive action and you did it. And uh, I'm super proud to be your friend and I appreciate you spending time with us on this podcast. Where can people go get that book?
1: So then go to brokeragehacking.com. They'll get a copy of the book for free. You can also, you just got to pay shipping, handling, um, it's on Amazon and Audible. If you want to get on there, I think it's like 20 bucks, but I got it for free on um, brokeragehacking.com. And um, yeah, man, my whole MO is just to like teach people how to hack the growth curve and um, use the team centric model underneath an independent brokerage. And that's kind of my whole like MO. And um, I try to help give people the operating system and everything, you know, all the assets they need to be able to pull it off like in you know really short time period. So I love it. That's what i'm all Go about check it man. out
0: get the book mr chris waters himself man thank you so much for being on the dominant real estate agent podcast and until tomorrow where your next episode uh thanks for uh thanks for listening if you like this podcast make sure you smash that subscribe button i will say chris this will maybe be the best podcast i've ever been on i could have went for two hours um, I, I, wish the honest to God, I, I, my favorite part was just having the discussion of both of our different points of view. I didn't just have to ask questions. I got to actually contribute a little bit. So man, I appreciate you playing all out and, uh, letting me, let me throw a little bit in there. And, um, uh, I appreciate you. <laughs> I was
1: like, I don't know if I should go down this road, but I was like, yeah, maybe it Yeah, make it it definitely interesting.
0: did brother. I love you, man. Thank you. <laughs> Take care.
1: Likewise, man. Yep, no problem. Thanks for having me on.